Hello and welcome to a special Perusia podcast. I'm Shabal Reish, your host, and I'm excited to have live inside the studio in Australia the author of this book, For Greater Glory, the, the official companion to the movie, Ruben Casada. Ruben, how are you? Doing great, great. It's good thank to have you, you uh, in the flesh. <laughs> it is a pleasure. It's what a, what a, an honor to be here, really. Thank it's, you. It's um, been a long time coming. Uh, I remember it was, it was about three or four years ago we first talked about a visit to Australia for a tour, and uh, COVID happened and so many other things, and finally we, we've made it happen. Correct. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely not took a while, but you know, through prayer we had to be cautious and I knew it was going to happen one day. It was just a matter of uh, patience, and God would pave the way for it. Amen, amen. Yeah. Well, uh, just a lot. We've been on tour, uh, in, so this is now towards the end of your tour, your final day. Uh, we have a, a couple of more sessions today. But uh, how has your time been in Australia? Um, you know, the um, very busy, very yeah. busy, but uh, a blessing. You know, each group, each parish. Uh, even yesterday at uh, Redfield College with yes. uh, young. Students are young boys. You know, each, uh, each location just brings me um, uh, great joy just because seeing people coming in to learn about this, to prepare themselves, and also just out of love for their faith in God and be able to learn and be able to become better Catholics and learn from all this, from this chapter that we have in history from Mexico. It's exciting for me. So I always love to talk about it. So whoever can, would like to learn an ear, I'm always there to, to talk yeah, about it and preach. Amen. It has been a, a wide variety of audiences. We had you on the Perusia fundraiser dinner, right. uh, a packed room. It was, it was phenomenal. You were the keynote there, uh, touching on religious freedom and the importance of us standing up for our rights. Uh, we also had a very interesting event with a screening inside a cinema, which was great, having the movie played. Um, that would have been special for you to see, I'm, I'm sure, from 10 years ago when it, when it first came out. Uh, but there was a full cinema, and you were able to answer some questions, and that was a special experience for those there. And then we did our, our usual parish talks, and then a, and then the school talk as well. So, and it, we've also got a professionals forum coming up. Yeah, absolutely, like you said, you know, it, it took took me back ten years ago when yeah. it first uh, was first released, and we were traveling the out in the states, you know, traveling all over for the red carpet affairs and the grand openings, also into Mexico. So it was, it, you know, it took me back a, a while back to just to just remember all the great opportunities we had to meet so many people and to talk about this chapter that was had never been really portrayed in a movie like this. So yes, for yes. the opportunity to do that with such a great cast as well, just a blessing. So, Amen. Yeah. Amen. Um, I, look, it's been a special trip for me personally because, as I mentioned um, in previous meetings and gatherings, uh, it was over 17 years ago when I first called St. Joseph Communications uh, for a Scott Hahn CD or cassette at the time, and I think the CDs were just starting, and um, you answered the phone. It was, you know, St. Joseph Communications, Ruben speaking, and that was you, and, and we, I just ordered, placed my first order and realized the shipping was astronomical, Correct. and then asked you, is there another way of doing it? And you suggested the whole idea of licensing, and you were gracious enough to offer that option to to manufacture the resources locally, eliminate the shipping, and just right. pay a, a royalty. And uh, you gave me the requirements. I had to set up a website, set up a business uh, name, and I got to I got to work. Got to home. I, I wasn't planning on doing this, but I thought, <laughs> let's see if this works. And right. um, and thanks be to God, you did. You planted the seed uh, in my mind, and and therefore. We ended up uh, setting things up, and 17 years ago, this month, uh, we celebrate 17 years at Perusia. Um, it all went back to that phone call, 
uh, and you are the man there, and you yourself have seen so many apostolates um, and speakers over the years. And and Saint jo- many people don't realize, but your role at St. Joseph's as um, operations manager. And Tell us a bit about your time there at St. Joseph's, because you were there for over 20 years, is that correct? Yeah, pretty much 20 years, actually. You know, And the way I connected with uh, that apostolate back in 1994 was also a miracle by itself. So as I see how... I came to work for with uh, Terry Barber and the Apostle, and just at the beginning of, of the, I guess, development of conferences and speakers really joining our speakers bureau. Uh, I see the the you know the links that we all play, uh, how God played a link with somebody else in order to get me here, which was Terry Barber, and also yes. a priest at the time who was able to introduce me to him. Uh, so it was really really uh, interesting when I came in. I mean, we're talking about November 1994, okay, which is wow. quite a while back. You know, yes. we're talking uh, 28 years ago, I believe. Yeah, 26 years ago. Am I right? Anyway, yeah. um, the point is, is that uh, as I started working there, uh, I started listening to, you know, Scott Hahn. Then came Jeff Cavins, other speakers, and eventually you start listening to these presentations as you're d- doing the production. Mm-hmm. And a lot of questions are answered in your faith that you never really learned. So it really started firing me up for, for learning more, you know, and, and the process of doing a lot of conferences throughout the country, getting more speakers, and, you know, the apostolate grew. And then came the opportunity for doing uh, distribution uh, throughout the, the world. We had, at a time, in South Africa, the Philippines, wow. Australia, Canada, and many other locations. So, yeah, it was definitely a, a blessing working, you know, at that time. Amazing. You, literally, I mean, St. Joseph's did pioneer in this space of, of, of CD productions, especially. That was, I guess, the core bread and butter of the business, that distributing CD sets. And, and it wasn't just single uh, talks. There were always a series or, you know, two packs, three packs, four packs, five packs, six packs, mm-hmm. 12 packs in some cases. And, right. um, and, and very unique in that, in that sense. And thousands of titles, I just remember, over the years. And, that is correct. Uh, and thanks to your work, we were able to... Um, discover speakers like Tim Staples and, and Scott Hahn, of course, and uh, Brant Petrie, Dr. Michael Barber, um, Stephen Ray, um, all these great conversion testimonies. Archbishop Fulton Sheen's work as well right. was a major part of your work. Um, yeah, just a, it's phenomenal. And I remember even our – so it, it's key, St. Joseph played a role because the reason why we – our first ever tour was with Tim Staples. So when So you started the idea of licensing and then – out of all those resources, the outside of Scott Hahn, the, the next largest range was Tim Staples. And we right. thought, let's get this guy out. And um, he, he moved to Catholic Answers at the time. But uh, again, it's, it's thanks to St. Joseph's because I would have, yeah, that was the reason why we picked him. We had a large range. He was very popular and, and, right. and a great uh, apologist. And so that, you know, between yourself and Tim Staples, we really uh, launched Perusia in, in a big way and I'm just amazed and celebrate. We'll never forget our foundations and our, you know, <laughs> where we've come from. Right. But here we are now, um, you know, and you've seen so many conferences, so many speakers, and seeing so many new apostolates. Um, but I guess something close to your heart is this: is this uh, whole story, the Mexican persecution, and you are a key. Tell us your involvement before even writing this book. Uh, you you did know about Blessed Miguel Pro, but um, you. How? Why were you picked? I guess to write out of all the Mexicans and all those familiar with it, 
what what I guess um, why were you the one picked I guess to to get behind all this? I can only say why. Well, the reason why I'm sure you know God had a plan. I would have never expected yeah. for me to be selected, but I had already been uh, studying the life. Mm. I started with Blessed Miguel Pro since I was a teenager. He was introduced to me by a priest, a uh, friend of the family, where, where I used to work at a retreat house before I worked with uh, Saint Joseph Communications. And eventually, as I started reading his life story, his martyrdom. Uh, I started finding more stories of other martyrs. Then I started reading stories of a bigger persecution that I had never heard about. So it was through that research that took me quite a long time to be able to grasp the entire uh, the entire chapter of history that was actually uh, taken off the history books. So people would not be able to learn about this. And it was probably about six decades that it was not... Uh, they were no one was able to publish, print anything about this. So wow. in the mid '90s, um, I was able to go on the internet, and by then, uh, diplomatic ties had already been renewed between the Vatican and Mexico. So now there were a little more leniency to print and talk about the story. And I found a, a true historian, uh, Mr. Jean Meyer, who was in Mexico mm. City for many years, and then he was able to do the research on this Christian. We have uh, incredible images testimonies through that. Uh, so fast forward from that point, I started giving lectures, uh, PowerPoint on Blessed Miguel Pro, a little bit of the persecution. Uh, when I gave the presentation, somebody invited me to their parish, then someone else invited me to their parish, and it started kind of a little snowball effect. Yes. And I started polishing up the presentation to really delve deep into the persecution of Mexico at the time. And, and as, as it often happened, people knew nothing about it. Yeah. Even up to the time when the movie was released, I remember there was a survey that was uh, across Mexico asking about how many people knew about this chapter in history. And nearly 70% of people living in Mexico, Mexican citizens, knew nothing about this. 70% of Mexicans. Correct. Wow. Wow. So anyway, with that said and done, after I traveled, I traveled quite a bit through uh, the, the states, giving presentations on the persecution of the church in Mexico, uh, on the life of Blessed Miguel Pro, the life of now Saint Jose, Jose Sanchez Arrio, yes. uh, Blessed Anacleto, who's another character who has a powerful story, and also his martyrdom, but also on religious freedom. So as I traveled, eventually the, I believe, Ignatius Press, who is uh, mm. the local Catholic publisher in California, known worldwide, of course. They got the rights to distribute the movie, and in that essence, they knew that I was already uh, giving a lot of lectures on this history, that I was pretty well knowledgeable. Not, the, not, a, not an expert, but very knowledgeable in that. So they called me uh, in January of 2012, okay. I remember. I was at a conference when I got the call from them to and asked me if I wanted to be the author of the companion to the movie, and my gosh, I didn't, yeah. I didn't bat an eye. I was right there at the moment. I was very excited to say yes, and then we started working on that project for the, on this book, and it was just released in time uh, with a movie uh, back in Praise May, God. May of 2012. So here we are. Yeah. Here we are. And the yes. recording is this May, so right. 10 year anniversary. Yes, since absolutely. the movie and the book. <laughs> yes, and the yeah, book. So it's the same. Tell us a bit about the book. So the style, it's a, it's a question and answer style book. Um, yes. Tell us, yeah, the, the direction you, you decided to go through um, in this companion and what can people expect 
uh, when they get their copy. Absolutely. Well, the you know the book itself is it's a very easy to read. It's nothing um, out of the ordinary. What it is, it's a Q and A. Uh, Mr. Matthew Arnold, very good co- a friend of mine and yes. co-worker at the time from St. Joseph's. Yeah, great man. The voice on those uh, CDs. Uh, that, 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 is, that is correct. <laughs> so Matthew uh, was able to kind of spearhead this project with me, and he he formatted the the entire layout of the book. He says, I think this will be a, the best way to uh, tell the story mm. from the beginning and explain every process, the names, the uh, why the persecution, you know, uh, who was present at the time. So we went through pretty much a chronological uh, process, again, Q&A, uh, up until the uh, truce. Again, this lasted three years. It was a three-year persecution where thousands of people lost their lives. And then after that, there's a couple of, there's a few pages with some prayers yes. that we were able to obtain, prayers from some of these Catholic, uh, well, the Cristeros, and some uh, prayers also attributed to some of the now saints and blesseds, and also the two encyclicals that the Vatican sent to Mexico during the persecution, Iniquis Afflictisquia and um, Acerba Animi. These two were uh, sent to the bishops in Mexico and the citizens as a way to kind of inspire, keep, um, keep your faith, you know, and sending prayers and blessings, but also about the importance of religious freedom. Yeah, wow. So, so that's, that's in what the book the, right at the end here, papal is, encyclicals. Yes. And I know there's a list of, um, at the time, that we're talking about 10 years ago, I was reviewing it again. Uh, they were uh, martyrs. Many of them are now saints. So we've gone through a few ceremonies of uh, beatification and canonization. Okay. So uh, I believe approximately there's about 46, I think, uh, I, I'm pretty sure, 46 saints from that, that period. Wow. And then Blesseds, I believe there's like 12 or 13, approximately. And so there's more, more saints than Blesseds. Correct. And the year 1927 and 1928 was, those two, two years were the most dangerous to be a priest in Mexico. If you look at the list of the martyrdom of uh, wow. the priest uh, who This is perished. an amazing list. Uh, uh, who would have thought? Uh, St. Augustine, uh, is it, do we say Coloca or Colosha? Coloca. Coloca. Correct. Yeah, look at this. It's all in alphabetical order. Correct. Saint Atilano, uh, Saint Cristobal, Saint David, Saint a few Davids, Saint Hanaro, uh, Jesus, uh, Jose, Jose. Oh my goodness, there's so many. Uh, Manuel, Margarito, so many saints. We probably have right. no idea about. We have to yeah. really turn to them. Absolutely, you know, many you know, priests as well. And their stories. I mean, do you, you can go through each story, wow. do sort of the research, and the story of their life up to their martyrdom is just. It's very inspiring to see. What they, what they were willing to sacrifice simply to bring the sacraments to the community, yeah, wow. to faithful Catholics. And they did it out of love and with such um, joy, uh, even during these this difficult times in Mexico. Let's talk about that. Um, this was their crime. Their crime, according to the government, was simply that they prayed. They, they celebrated Mass. They would pray, one, one case, praying a rosary in the church, uh, just praying. Surely was there more to it, or that was it? It was as simple as um, this war out against the Catholic Church from the government. How, can you explain what was going on there? What, what was this persecution? When it comes down to it, what was it that was so wrong? Um, right. And what led to many of these martyrs? Yeah, good question. So it goes back a little bit before the, the persecution started. Um, in 19, 
We had the Mexican Revolution from 1910 to 1917 to overthrow a corrupt government, which has pretty much been the case ever since. Uh, in 19, 1917, the new constitution was uh, pretty much authorized and signed to, be, to go into effect across Mexico. Okay. 1917, with a new president, and his name at the time was Venustiano Carranza. Um, this constitution included five articles, pretty much five, that directly attacked the Catholic Church, but they were not going to be exercised, but they were there in case they needed to. Okay. And again, just to know, that was in the Constitution. How did it get to that point? Well, <laughs> because so, of the government in Mexico, since the independence of Mexico, Masons have pretty much governed Mexico, okay. and there's been always an attack. Even before the, this, this persecution uh, from this chapter that we're talking about was in 1926 to mm -hmm. 1929. In the 1800s, 1873, I believe, there was another persecution similar to this by, wow. the, by then president at the time, uh, Benito Juarez, who was raised Catholics, he was educated by nuns, religious nuns, on his education growing up. Once you get into power, you need to leave your faith aside, and uh, you become a Mason, oh and that comes with a lot of attacks on the faith. There's just, it is, it is part of the history in Mexico. So you fast forward back, you know, to the, to 1917, new president, constitution, five articles are there. There's, of course, various articles, but the five of them are, are there and not exercised. So when Mexico voted for the new president in 1924, they, they elected Plutarco Elias Calles. That was a new president. This, pre, this new president was an atheist, anti-Catholic. That's how he was raised in Mexico. Uh, wow. He was raised by his Such uncle. Such a young age. Young age. Yeah. He was, his, his father left, uh, abandoned the family. His mother died when he was young. And he was raised by an uncle who was an atheist. So his... His hatred or dislike of the Catholic Church was already instilled since childhood. So when he came into power, he didn't come with a vision of this persecution. But it was what he was trying to, um, the new laws he was trying to implement across Mexico, while the bishops continued to um, send notifications back that we are not going to follow this because it violates our our God-given rights, our religious freedom. Um, there's a list of many, many uh, yes. laws. So eventually, the president was getting pretty tired of the Catholic Church. And if, if you've seen the movie, he says that the Catholic Church is poisoning the minds of the people. He says, we will not tolerate that. So it became, you know, it became kind of a back and forth until, until he had had enough. He used those five articles of the Constitution, and he called it the Calles Law. Hmm. And with that, he really launched a direct attack on the Catholic Church. And it, he, he then gave uh, citizens across the entire country, predominantly you know, Catholic, I would say maybe 90, 95% of the time were Catholic, yeah. gave them the last two weeks of July in 1926 to practice freely what you would like, masses, confirmations, baptisms, weddings, any type of religious celebration. But after, that, after the two weeks... He was going to close all the churches, and we have <clears throat> we have um, photos uh, in the presentation we're going to give tonight. That I'm going to give tonight. There's photos of people lining up. I mean, day in, day out, 24/7 for two weeks, making sure they get the sacraments one more time because everything was going to shut down. Wow. And uh, that uh, happened, and eventually, after weeks and weeks of not having uh, the sacraments, people were getting 
very desperate. Their soul needed the sacraments, the Eucharist, confession, just to be in the presence of God. And the beginning of 1927, the first uprisings of Catholics uh, made the decision to start defending their church and their priests because they were the government was going around to see if anybody practiced. Um, they disobeyed the law. They would get arrested, even executed. And we have a lot of images of the the, the torture and the uh, executions of many of our priests. So eventually this, this uprising, again, it was to defend, not to launch an attack, but to defend their God-given right, our yeah. religious freedom. And then there was altercations, and then they, they would win. The Catholics, you know, the Cristeros would win. And then they'd go to another section of Mexico. All this in the town of Jalisco, they call it the Los Altos. That's where it really started. And from there, it just kind of snowballed into a big movement. And you see in the movie how they brought in uh, General Enrique Gorostieta to really lead them as, a, as an army because they were not as, as effective the way they were going, so they brought them in to really... Uh, become a powerful army and be able to to fight. Wow. That and was the character that Andy Garcia played, Andy right? Garcia, in the that, movie. Okay. that is correct. And yeah, he played a quite an incredible role, just portraying him very. Yeah, he did a great um, job. Yeah, it's, uh, looking at the history and some of his stories uh, that are in the in the history books, he very much prepared very well for that. But you know, it, it was something that, um, as I said, it it was very powerful. Three years of fighting, uh, and time and time again, there was. You know, families, children, uh, the elderly, if they were caught, if they violated the law, because I, I can go through a list of everything. You can't, there was actually even, the government even tried to establish a Mexican Catholic church with a couple hmm. of a couple of priests that had left the priesthood. They, they tried to run that for the government. And it was really a, just a, kind of a way to appease Catholics. But eventually that, that it was like a, uh, it didn't go far because of the lack of the sacraments, and it was not really the true church of... Yeah, like wow, that's so, interesting. So yeah. this Caius law, um, so we're talking about uh, churches closed, that's it, boom. And priests, what were they expected to do? Just um, what would, you know, priests couldn't say mass Correct. in the church, of course. So even with the doors closed, could the priests... No, 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 no religious. They were caught. Nothing whatsoever. So no, actually, no private masses. Nothing. They actually um, they had to get permission from the government, and there was you could celebrate a mass, but it had to be under their conditions, like baptism. You couldn't do it inside a bapti- inside a church in a baptismal. You'd have to do it on the local river beds or something like that. That was part wow. of the, that. That would be acceptable. Also, priests were um, celibacy was out the door. They could marry if they wanted to. You have to follow it if you want to practice freely. But again, no priest followed that, uh, no. that those those teachings or what they had set in place. But if you violated that, of course, you would be arrested. And uh, there's um, there's even photos of uh, back. I remember even growing up in Mexico because I I grew up there for the first ten years of my life. There are three islands off the coast of like Mazatlan and off into the Pacific Ocean. Okay, they're called Islas Marias, the Mary or Marian Islands. That even as a kid, I remember it was it was like the Alcatraz in California. That's oh. where they that's where they send the psychopaths, the murderers. The and what they were doing is that if they captured a group of people in a in a, in mass, mm-hmm. again they wouldn't execute the children per se. Just they would uh, put them by train 
all the way out to the port, put them on a ship to those to those islands. And people were wow. very, very uh, fearful of even going there. So that was another way to intimidate Catholics at that time. Wow, wow. Yeah. Just imagining the world, what it would have been like living then at that time. And priests obviously couldn't wear their collars. They couldn't right. be seen as priests. Correct. Um, and then lay people not having access to church, but... Uh, Private devotions, things like that. I mean, their whole their spirit, you know, their, their soul, their purpose of living, all that just gets sucked out. And absolutely, my goodness. Was there anything else around that? So the church is being closed. I'm curious to to understand what the um. One, I mean, once you do that, that's a major part of the identity of the Mexican culture right. back then. Right. But any other things uh, um around that that the pressures from the from the KS government? What was what was it like? The, the the persecution was on the church, but um, did that affect, I guess, uh, the running of the country as well uh, before the uprisings began? Yeah, well, the the persecution went pretty much to Catholicism, not just the yeah. priests and the churches. So, so I mean, everyone, on, yeah, everyone, uh, mostly so everyone. School, schools, schools, yeah, um, they, universities, uh, and religious and orders, uh, everything, charities. Yeah, absolutely, we have uh, a lot of uh, property was confiscated by the government uh, from whether it was a Catholic school, a Catholic college, a convent. Many, many properties were lost to the government forces. And they, if, I mean, if you were to travel in Mexico right now, uh, which I've done many times, a lot of the government offices or buildings look like, this this looks like, it has a little bit of a religious, uh, what would you call it, architecture. Because it used to be either a convent, a school, or a church, or whatnot. You know, it's just uh, a lot of losses of, uh, of property the, the Catholic Church suffered throughout that time. And also, you know, just the destroying of the churches. They, were, they would burn them down. They would come in and completely destroy everything inside, you know, just trying wow. to, to intimidate uh, Catholics. So did it affect society? Big time. There was, um, when people would leave, there were actual towns. Uh, and all, the, all this that I'm sharing is because... Back to the expert, Jean Meyer mm-hmm. did uh, his thesis on this persecution. It's a three-volume uh, okay. in Spanish that it's just it goes deep into the daily livings, uh, living of Catholics at the time. Uh, so it was really a, uh, an example. People would leave towns. Uh, it would be like a ghost town. And the whole town would leave to fight for religious freedom. The mothers, the wives, they would go with them and at a some type of encampment where they would set up, you know, they would set up camp. They would stay there to cook, sometimes, you know, he, uh, help with the first aids, and then the men would go into battle, come back again. So towns were were completely, uh, they were lifeless. There was nobody there. And um, if also if men left, women stayed behind. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about a three-year war. They had to sustain themselves. Even kids had to leave school to go work, to go sell stuff, and the mother had to work too. So it changed the 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 economic and the social lifestyle in Mexico for many years to come. Even after the truce, wow. it was really that's a good point. Fantastic. So families have been broken, uh, fatherless families, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, that, that in decades and decades, so a whole generation Correct. like that that certainly has an impact, doesn't it? Right, absolutely. You know, the, one of the one of the things that uh, that I encountered it. I've been, as I said, I've been traveling, I'd say maybe 15 years. And I remember I had gone up to Northern California to give uh, parish missions. I think I gave like 12 talks in two parishes all weekend. Wow. And in two different occasions, uh, some 
an elderly man who lost his father during the persecution. He was still talk, he, he was talking to me, but he could sense the almost a bitterness. He was still resentful. He was still mm-hmm. angry because of all this. He just couldn't quite understand. You know, he says we. He says we gained back a freedom that we already had. He says, but we lost my father. We lost my older brother. He says, and the lifestyle that we had after that was very difficult. And yes. I can never forget that. He says. So after the truce. Okay, you get your freedom back, you get your churches back, at what cost? Yeah, yeah. And that was really difficult for many, I mean, thousands of families just to to be able to overcome those challenges, but also the economic, you know, the economics of it. They, they changed everything. Kids couldn't go to school anymore. Now they had to work just to make a living. Wow. And, and the wives. But I guess this widows. is the price, the... the uh, the the Cristeros paid, right? Is this Mm -hmm. basically those who wanted to fight back for freedom and and enough was enough at a certain point when... But at that point when they decided those uprisings started to rise, a lot of lives were lost already at that point, right? So there there had to be... Something had to have happened. Of course. Well, what happened is there was right after the revolution in 1917, the president that came into power... uh, Carranza, there was another president, Alvaro Obregón. Again, these presidents grew up Catholic. But again, again, just to reiterate, mm-hmm. when you get into politics, that goes out the window or else wow. you're, you're not going to get far. So, uh, Obregón, the president right before Calles, he attacked the church. We have, there was a monument in uh, Guanajuato which is dedicated to uh, Christ the King, uh, and it's called Cristo Rey. And there's a, mm-hmm. there was a huge, beautiful statue of Christ the King up on the hill. Uh, Alvaro Obregón sent people to destroy it, so put dynamite up to it and destroyed the entire monument. So there was already attacks uh, prior to this persecution. So it had just been kind of occurring, a little more pressure until Calles came in, and then uh, all all the wrath was you know let loose against the Catholics. So uh, for the first, as I said, from at the end of July till the end of December 1926, there were attacks, there were persecutions, but there was not really that commitment to defend it. People thought it was going to be over yeah. real soon. Once they saw that it wasn't and priests were being executed, then they took action. Yeah, so it had been building up, and eventually they just uh, they knew. I know they gave up their jobs, their families, their homes, and yes, even their lives, for the sake of religious freedom. And you know they paid the ultimate price. Uh, I know we. We do have one of the things uh, on the book here. We have the list of priests yes. who were martyred, who were tortured. Some are blessed. Others are still you know, in the process. But we don't have the list of all the Cristeros who, um, out of self-defense, died fighting for religious freedom. We have a lot, a lot of martyrs, but we don't have mm-hmm. records of all these people. Uh, when I've traveled, even in Mexico or even in the States, and I know it's a, a Mexican community or Latino, I tell them, I said, you should look into your family tree. You might have a, a martyr in your family and you don't even know it. And okay, there's okay. just a lot of archives. It's just, I'm not sure how far back they're able to, to trace that, but are you talking about hundreds of thousands of people who died? Wow. So uh, wow. you never know. The, uh, about the, um, the uprisings and, and, how did that sort of uh, build to the point where, say, in the film, Andy Garcia was invited to sort of lead the army 
and you know, and, and it says in the trailer what we'll play it at the end of this. But um, you know, you want me to lead an army of ragtag peasants and right. and hillbillies, and the the idea was, well, these guys were just ready to fight, ready to lay down their life. And mm-hmm. what was it before he came in? What was what was it like? Okay. Yeah. So what happened in um, the the league, the National League for Religious Defense in Mexico? They were made up of. Um, some Catholics, some just mm. people who were not really practicing, but they knew about religious freedom. Uh, so that league, along with many, uh, many Catholics in the area, in, in the state of Jalisco, what was happening is that many of these, uh, the, the, first, like the first uprising, some of these men that joined to fight had two reasons or three reasons to start it. Number one, they were ousted or they were defeated, not killed, but defeated during the Mexican Revolution seven years prior to that or nine years prior to that. Uh, for them, it was an opportunity for revenge. That was number one. Number two, others just fought for religious freedom and others just because they loved to fight. They just loved being in, you know, in, in combat. So there were various reasons why people mm-hmm. eventually gathered. It wasn't just all Catholics. But they came in for the same purpose, to fight for religious freedom. And on January 1st, 1927, was the first uh, self-defense up in the states of Jalisco when the government tried to come in and, and shut their, their, their church or try to destroy it. They fought back and they won. First day, the New Year's Day. Right. <laughs> yes. Okay. And so then, um, they obviously, this league built enough funds and resources to at least be able to hire the services of, of a leader. And, that is correct. And they had already a network working across the, the, the country. Correct. So, so you know, they knew, they knew it because uh, General Gorostieta, Andy Garcia, he actually was a highly decorated general, and he fought in the revolution, and he did fairly well. Okay. Um, again, they, he was fighting for some of the leaders. Eventually, in the Mexican Revolution, a lot of the generals who were fighting this revolution, they all wanted to become president. A lot of them ended up killing themselves. Wow. But Gorostieta was a general in some of those in that fighting, and he did actually, he was very successful. Well, that's why, why the league reached out to him, because they knew he knew how to strategize and use his men to, to fight the right way. Interesting. So, Interesting. Yeah. Now, a bit about his character in the film. He... Was he Catholic and just not practicing? I'm just trying to... I understand he wasn't. His wife... There's a, there's a moment in the scene where she says, you, how do you fight for something you don't believe in? And he says, I believe in freedom. So what was his background? Was he a Catholic and just not practicing or just not even a Catholic? He was an atheist, actually. He was an atheist. When wow. he came, and if you see him, actually, this is also in part of the history book, some of the images. If you see him when he went to fight for the Cristeros, he was wearing a crucifix. Yes. Uh, that would actually also kind of serve as a protection. So if he was out on the battlefield, they knew he was fighting for the church. Hmm. So, but in the process, you see him changing his stance Asking yes. for prayer, even confession. Yeah. He wanted to also try to receive the Eucharist, and he, it was denied until he went to confession. Um, so anyway, that's, that was his stance. He was an atheist, but in, a conversion was coming in yeah. the process. And I'll tell you a little bit more as we, towards the end of it, uh, how his life ended and what happened shortly in that period. Yeah, well, sorry. Um, so this is interesting. Uh, there's a few other characters in the movie. Uh, Eduardo, he's one of the blesseds. In, Correct. What was his role in that, his character? So, Anacleto Gonzalez Flores. 
um, <coughs> young Catholic in, in uh, Guadalajara, the state of Jalisco as well. Um, when he found, he was always, uh, he, he belonged to different groups. Uh, Catholic Association of Mexican Youth. There was a, there was a big uh, just organization for uh, young Catholics in, in throughout Mexico. He belonged to that league just to, to preach the gospel, to conferences, to talk about maybe, you know, boycotting certain, if there was anybody uh, that was attacking the faith in any way, they would uh, coordinate boycotts so that way the person, you know, that he would get, they wouldn't get physical, but it would hurt their pocketbooks, you know, their, yeah. their wallet. So uh, he was yeah. very dedicated. He actually studied to be an attorney. When the persecution began, then he used every possible means that he could to do everything peacefully, the boycotts, uh, uh, preparing flyers and distributing them all over the, you know, the vicinity. So he was very active, uh, but he was also a wanted man because a lot of the uh, federalities there, the police, already knew who, what, he, what he stood for. And when the persecution started, he was breaking the law by, by doing all this. So, so Eduardo placed this guy, this uh, man, Anacleto González Ores. I wish they could have shown, not that we like to see the violence, but what he went through after his capture and his martyrdom, and the, wow. what, he, what he preached during the process of his martyrdom up to his death. Phenomenal. It's just very inspirational. We can go into a, a whole chapter just sharing his story. would wow. be very wow. inspiring for many. The, the, but this is the thing that we... we the. The purpose, you know, the, the uprisings, the, he, he fought basically in a non-violent way. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, he was uh, fighting the battle. And we need, we need to be doing all the, uh, what we can if, it, you know, if things get worse today. How do we respond? And we have to be, obviously, violence is not the first option. It's the last option. But uh, we, we fight. Because today, let's compare what happened then to today. How do you see the difference? Um, as we look at the culture today, 21st century, it doesn't uh, seem very friendly to the Christian um, values. Uh, it feels like we it feels like a post-Christian society, to be honest. It feels like we've we, we're now um, you know very much uh, a, a minority. Even though you know there's still millions of people who claim to be Catholic or, or even have faith, but it just does not feel like that in the culture right now. It feels like we're just the minority and, and, and so many issues are falling one after the other. Um, what, what would you say? Where do you see this, the, the culture today is? Um, and are we in some type of persecution? Um, where do I see it? Well, definitely, you know, we've seen, uh, we've seen the results. Personally, for me, living, living in the States, in the state of California, we see the lack of formation. Mm. We see the lack of conviction, the lack of commitment. But also, the, the, I, th I believe the role in the household has dramatically dropped, and parents, and believe me, and I'm not pointing the finger, parents should take a bigger role into educating their children from, yes. from since they're, they're kids up until they leave the house. They should never stop. And that seems to be, you know, again, we, we get so distracted. We have so many distractions in our daily lives. Eventually, our faith starts taking you know, a backseat. Yes. And in the process, we have what we have right now. We've been warned even back in 1990, I believe 1996, I think that's when Pope John Paul II traveled to the U.S. and he warned us about religious freedom. He says, he pretty much, he told us, be aware. He says, because don't allow the authorities to 
replace your faith with secularism in America. Wow. We, we must stand our, you know, stand strong and be able to fight for that. That was, what, 26 years ago? 26 years ago, yes. Well, guess what? seems like it fell, uh, went under the radar because right now it's just uh, the Catholicism is, seems to be dropping and dropping and people just don't, don't really, seems like they don't, they're, they don't care about it that much anymore. We see the attacks that are happening right now because of this uh, Roe versus Wade leak that yes. supposedly happened. Uh, th- uh, there's um, some of the news clips that are coming that these pro-abortionists already said we are going to break into the churches and desecrate the Eucharist. They're only seeking to destroy the Catholic Church. Nobody else, because there's a lot of other religions that are yeah. pro-life. Yes, they're very selective. It's just evil at its, you know, Satan's working in such a way that that it's really trying to persecute the Catholic Church. And we need to we need to respond, uh, not just with our votes, in any way that we can. And again, peaceful, but we need to stand up and be able to defend that and go back, go back to the basics. Teach. The children teach the youth, teach our, our our young men about our faith and what what the values that we have, or else they're going to get caught up in in society and they're going to get lost out there. It happens. Yes. It's happened for the past probably couple of decades, and now we see the results. We we're desperate. The world is desperate for for that Christian love, and uh, yes. and, and and through that, true Christian values will will give us peace in the right. world. Right. Uh, well. Um, yeah, you wanted to say about uh, as we the film. Uh, you were actually uh, involved in the process of the film, so a lot of people don't know, but you did write a script. Uh, can we touch I, on that? I did actually. Uh, I guess I would say maybe about twelve years ago, maybe thirteen. Uh, the director of Bella, Alejandro Monteverde. Yes. Uh, we met with uh, the whole, a lot of books, the, the some of my collection about the story, and he was. Uh, he asked me if I knew how to write a script. I said, never done one before. So he gave me a book uh, to study it, and then he says, start from there. So I wrote the script of, uh, it's called Viva Cristo Rey, but in the process of finalizing it, he got busy with the movie Bella, yes. and that took about two years uh, to write, produce, and post-production uh, as well until it came out, which, again, a great movie. So... By then, the story of this uh, that we had talked about had already been circulated with other contacts, and eventually they sh- they selected another writer who's who's had who's written scripts before. Yeah, you know, okay. With the experience, and believe me, it's it was a great story as well. Uh, they went with him, so they started the filming back in uh, 2010. About okay. 2010. Uh, Eduardo would call me because, uh, based on his character, he wanted to find out more about this character because he was yes. also he was traveling and working at different projects. So I was able to help him in the process of who Anacleto Gonzalez Flores was. Okay. When the filming was done, the actual complete film was about three hours and twenty minutes. Wow! And there is no way that would ever be released either on big screen or on a DVD. So. They invited me along with part of the cast, Eduardo, and other other people within the film that were involved. They uh, they invited us out to I believe it was Thousand Oaks to a private theater. Okay. We we were there many hours going through the entire movie, the original, the yes. uncut, and then we had to, we got a kind of like a guideline, and we had to mark which scenes could be removed, so it could come to a about a mm-hmm. two-hour and 50-minute movie, or else it would yes. not be released. And I think to me it was really, because of the 
and I've been studying it for many years, even taking one, one uh, clip from the movie, one little take was really hard for me. I said, yeah. they're all good. It's wow. like, which, which child do you love the least? You know? <laughs> Is there, do you think it's possible to get that uncut version? I'm going to reach out. I mean, I, you did, you did ask me. I'll, I'll look into it. That would be, let's, let's, uh, it's, a, it's a long movie. You'd have to bring yeah. a lot of popcorn for that yeah. one. <laughs> oh, wow. That would be wonderful. But yeah. you, you, that's fascinating. You were there uh, in, that, in that process. But you're also on, on set as well uh, a few times. And, and tell us about that. That is correct. Just, you know, there was a lot of... Um, um, I mean, the production was was really nice. The, there were threats at the time, actually, uh, from some. Oh, again, wow. not all governors. I, it was it was filmed in three different states in Mexico, and not, again, not everybody was very very welcoming. So there were threats about you know, you filmed that because it's exposing the the mm. government's role in this. But there was really nothing. You know, there was you know security hired, and it just you know went like clockwork. But um, I think there was another. After the movie was, was uh, the production was finished, there was another persecution, which is the release. So we, they were, we were working with, in Mexico and the States, uh, grassroots marketing, networking, so we can really get the word out about the movie, yes. besides billboards and commercials that were coming out. Yes. But uh, soon after the release, uh, we found out that a lot of, especially in Mexico, a lot of theaters... Uh, wouldn't allow anybody to buy tickets, or they would tell their audiences that it was already full when, in fact, it wasn't even full. So you wow. saw the ticket sales go like this the first weekend, and the next one it kind of nosedived. It was just so within, I think, three weeks, maybe even a month, the movie pretty much was out out of theaters. That wow. was another persecution, but yeah, it wasn't until the, the message the DVD came out that it was really started spreading and continues. And now yeah, on, that's right. Now on uh, streaming services as well. Someplace. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, we have that. We're, we're pleased to have uh, Perusia uh, on our website, perusiamedia.com, that you can buy the film for greater glory uh, on DVD, and also it is on our. If you don't have a DVD player, you can get it on live streaming, and we have Perusia on demand, and we're very uh, blessed to be able to offer that on there. I know it used to be on Netflix, and it was on form, but um, at the moment on Perusia on demand, so we're very excited for that for our subscribers, or you can buy it or rent it. So go to um, perusiamedia.com, click on On Demand, and then you'll see Search for For Greater Glory, you'll be able to get that. Um, as well as this book, this is also now available on our website, perusiamedia.com, and we have an audio book as well. So you recorded with Matthew Arnold, yes, um, a three CD set, and we're also going to have it on an MP3. Right. But tell, that's basically this book read out. That, that's what it is exactly. Okay. If, you, if you don't want to read, you're not a book reader. You can, uh, okay. do, you know, the download and be able to listen to the question and answer and go through the entire book. Yeah, uh, wow. in, okay. in a short period of time. But yeah, that's it's available. Uh, and thanks to you, uh, we also received um, another film. Uh, it was in Spanish, uh, and it was based on the life of Blessed Miguel Pro. Can you tell us very quickly about that? Because that's yes. also available on our streaming service, Perusia on Demand and on DVD. Uh, Blessed Miguel Pro, a key figure in this whole story. Yes. Back in, I would say, probably, nine, uh, let me see, 2000, uh, maybe 2010, around there, I believe, found out that there was uh, a movie on the life of uh, Padre Pro. Mm. And it's called Padre Pro. It's a mm -hmm. DVD. It's in it's in Spanish with English subtitles, and uh, it is on the man. It's a story of Blessed Miguel Pro. Again, this was the first uh, the first martyr, the first uh, person that really connected me with all this. I guess a domino effect yes. from from that 
to working at the retreat house, to connecting with Terry Barber, to look at that, possibly, oh, yeah. to here, and here we are, 30, 40 years later. To me, it's just been an amazing journey that God put us all together to yes. for this. But nevertheless, the movie talks about the life, the life, the life story of Blessed Miguel Pro, uh, kind of his childhood uh, when he was where he was born, uh, joined the seminary, right in the middle of the. Mexican Revolution between 1910 and 17. So they had to flee because there was a lot of persecution even at the church during mm -hmm. that time. He fled and they had to flee to the States. They came to California and eventually he was sent to, to Europe to continue his studies. Okay. When he was ordained in 1925 in Belgium, eventually he, had to, he was returning back to Mexico and he arrived in Mexico just prior to the persecution starting. So he had to go underground and, you know, um, tend to the faithful, but wow. clandestine style and hidden homes. And he would dress up uh, in d different disguises to avoid yeah. being captured. And he was, he was a very funny, witty, but a very holy priest. And again, the way uh, to, well, I don't want to give away the story. I want people to watch the movie because yeah. it's, uh, it's funny how, well, not funny, but it's, it's very interesting how he was captured and what, what he was accused of when he was uh, executed. Now that execution um, really uh, put a uh, shone a light on on the evils of of, of all these uh, the firing squads and and and, uh, and how he died. The first was it the first uh, martyrdom captured on film, or, um, or was it? Or not necessarily. Or I, I know there was other priests who were executed. Okay. We have images. I don't have the exact date based on the archives, but he was the first one that was used. Uh, president brought the media in to capture everything. I mean, mm. pretty much from the, the time they were being pulled out of the cell to walking towards the execution site, wow. everything was captured. It was a way for him to intimidate Catholics across the country. And when these photos were published in, uh, in the newspapers all over, it backfired greatly. So they had to retract them and then uh, make sure that no media outlet, nobody could write, talk, or publish any photos regarding the execution. Interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, at least people, if they've been familiar, I first heard of Blessed Miguel Pro exactly 20 years ago. I was on a discernment retreat, and there was a priest, Father Joe Pro, who ha who happened to tell it, and he happens to be the grand nephew of uh, Blessed Miguel Pro. So uh, he's now back in Mexico, Father Joe Pro. So if you're watching Father Joe Pro, I'd love to get you on the podcast and, and maybe in time for the feast of, of your great uncle uh, in November to have you on um, because it would just be such a blessing. But uh, we've got to connect the two of you up so you can uh, yeah, continue this message in promoting a very important piece of history in our church and, uh, and, and not to take for granted our freedoms we have today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. So, you know, with that said, I think there's, there's so much. Uh, I, to close off as far as the chapter of the persecution, um, because of those images that were published, mm -hmm. other countries began to also start focusing on this, this type of uh, violation of religious freedom. The U.S. also, you know, you see the ambassador who came in many times yes, you know, to, yes. to meet with them regarding this. They were going for other purpose, but, you know, the oil and other, other interests, but also the, because of the, uh, the persecution that was happening. Um, eventually, there was, an, there was a truce between the Catholic bishops, the Catholic Church, and the government, and there was, uh, Corostieta was not too happy about it because he was out on the battlefield. And again, the church does not support war. 
there's again we have there's a teaching of the just war theory yes. and we have to be very certain that it's going to have a better a good outcome based on all these um, uh, elements on, 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 on the just war theory and that was not the case for the Cristeros so they couldn't support the cause but when the truce came uh, Gorostieta wasn't too happy that they were not going to be acknowledged that it was them who fought for the church it was a yeah, very wow. controversial again the government did it purposely to create more uh, separation or, or hatred between yeah, California, a little more. Uh, and so, uh, anyways, after the truce, which happened in June 23rd, 1929, almost three years to the date, the truce was signed. And part of the, uh, the truce uh, that the government, there were some conditions to be met. And the co conditions were they were asking all generals, all leaders of the Cristeros, because right now, mm -hmm. before the truce, it's called treason. You would be, you could be executed or jailed. One of the two. So the truce was, and the truce was, okay, surrender your weapons, and you will get a presidential pardon. That way, you're going to be a free man. We're not going to prosecute you. A lot of them followed through. Others didn't, because they thought it was a trap. And sure enough, it was. Three months after the truce, the government went on a witch hunt for Cristeros, all those who surrendered their weapons, and they killed over 500 leaders uh, wow. uh, in that time, simply because for them, oh, you fought against the government, you're going to pay, pay a price, even with the, the documentation that they were free. Wow. So, yeah, there was a lot of ongoing, and there was a, even shortly after, in 1931, I believe, there was a short uprising again, another, but it was quick, uh, quickly uh, uh Terminated, but there was another uprising, a short one. Wow. Yeah. Well, there is. It reminds me of my favorite scene in the film is that final sort of speech that Andy Garcia does in the in the film, and yes. I get goosebumps, you know. Uh, right. And when when he does it, I, I want to see. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to get get a clip here and, and show you. Uh, we'll play that little clip because it's my favorite part of the scene of the movie, and it just wakes me up every time to say, "Hang on." And again, it's not about. Um, wanting to go out and attack with violence, but it's how do we defend our freedoms right. and, and, and for, the, for the sake of everybody. It's not just one or two people. Right. And so uh, we're going to play the clip of Andy Garcia on that speech now. Today we are going to send a message. We are going to send a message to Caius and to the rest of the world. That freedom is not just for writers and for politicians and, and for fancy documents. Freedom, freedom is our home, our wives, our children, our faith. Freedom is our lives. And we will defend it or die trying. It is not only our duty to defend it, but it is our right. You must remember that men will fire bullets, but God decides where they land. Que viva Cristo Rey! Que viva! Cristo Rey! Que viva! Cristo Rey! That's an. That's my favorite. That that is. 
I've got goosebumps. That's my. That's an awesome clip from the movie. Um, and uh, I want to end. We'll play the video trailer of the movie in a moment. Um, wow. What I mean, there's so much more we can say, but uh, yeah. we hope we we um, we have we'll have a presentation recorded as well of of this in more detail with imagery, Correct. and um, I'd love to get you back on again. And I mean, there's so much more to unpack. Um, just any final final comments here, Ruben, as we close. Uh, just for those watching um, who who are confused, how do we fight today? How do we how do we defend our freedoms? Because it looks like every day that goes by. It is slipping away more and more. You know, we definitely have to prepare. We see, we see the results. We see how society is declining. You know, there's, the morality keeps declining. It's not getting better. Why? Because we are leaving our faith behind. We are leaving our values behind. Um, the catechism tells us very clearly we have a responsibility in the voting booths. It's not just civil authorities who have the right to uh, establish laws and then we're just going to follow. We need to use our vote, our voice, vote with faith, your faith values, with your morality. A lot of people today just, they vote with, uh, they select candidates that have little or nothing to do with, mm. with the faith. They probably do it because they're popular on other causes, but nothing on the faith. And we need to change that. We need to read the catechism. Now, there's a couple of um, paragraphs that we can look into that regarding religious freedom. I'm sorry, the, our responsibility as faithful citizens. We can um, start there, but also start with formation. Get back to the kids. You know, we, we've talked about this a few times. You know, Proverbs uh, 22.6 says, Teach up a child the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Are we teaching our children? Are we forming them enough? Are we equipping them enough that as they grow, they can contain the faith, continue to practice their faith and not get this, you know, distracted with you know, secular society, which is nothing close because... Right now, out there, it's just uh, God is out of society. They're, they're, nobody wants to hear about it, or they get offended. For us, it's about preaching it with love, with respect, and be able to stand up for religious freedom no matter the cost. And most importantly, in, in my 15 years and probably over two, 250 lectures that I've given on this topic across, across the U.S., now in Australia, mm -hmm. um, the, it never fails, but somebody asked me, do you think... This can happen today, and I always say, you can bet your life on it. Wow. So it can happen, and we need to need to be ready. Yeah. Wow, let's pray. We've got um, so, many so many saints to call on. Uh, the list is in the book. Yes. Uh, so all those saints who died for this freedom, we, we ask for your intercession right now. Um, our Lady of God, Lupe, of course, and, uh, um, and, and just for our Lord to reign, the Christ the King. Amen. Viva Cristo Rey. Let's end on that. Absolutely. How do we say that? So you say, que viva Cristo Rey, and I'll say, que viva. All right. Que viva Cristo Rey. Que viva. God bless you. Thank you for listening, and um, keep the faith. Amen. Thank you. That's another Prusia podcast. Uh, so blessed to have Ruben here in Australia after all these years uh, celebrating not only the 10-year anniversary of the movie For Greater Glory, the 17th anniversary of Perusia, which started right with a phone for call uh, between us. So thanks, everyone, for watching. Again, get on our website, perusiamedia.com. Look for For Greater Glory, the movie and the book, and, and really inform yourself about this piece of history. It is so important because I, I feel that we're entering into... That direction, similar times, it, it is not getting any easier to live our faith in the public square. So let's let's just be ready, pray, 
arm ourselves, form ourselves, and, and you can do that at parisianmedia.com. God bless all of you. Take care.